powerful stories from the biggest names in the game. This is The Sporting Life on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Now, here's Jeremy Schaap. Welcome to another edition of The Sporting Life. Later in the show, we'll be joined by my colleague Doug Kazirian. We'll be talking about the impact on the world of sports wagering of the current pandemic and the decisions to cancel so much of the college football schedule in the fall. That is also the subject of our first conversation with our esteemed guest, an old friend, one of the most distinguished voices on the subject of sports in today's media environment, Paul Feinbaum. Paul, thank you for joining us. Jeremy, it is my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Paul, I, we're speaking now on Thursday, and who knows, by the time this airs initially, 24 hours from now on Friday, uh, there will be further developments. It's likely that there will be. But as we stand right now on Thursday, August 13th, the Pac-12, no sports in the fall. The Big Ten, no football in the fall. We don't know about what's going to happen in the spring. But at this point, the Big 12, the SEC, the ACC are still going to try to make a go of it in the fall with football. What kind of a week has this been for you? It's been extraordinary, Jeremy, but it's also been predictable. Uh, we knew we were getting to this point a couple of weeks ago when the Big Ten started making noise. Uh, someone asked me how bad Tuesday was. I said it was DEFCON 2. The only reason I didn't say DEFCON 1 is because the SEC is still alive. And uh, the SEC is that football league that will not give up no matter what. So if, if, if and when that happens, I'll, I'll adjust. But I thought Tuesday was, was one, of the, one of the saddest and most significant days in the history of college football. W- within one hour of each other, the Big Ten, the gold standard, uh, the richest conference in America, and, and the Pac-12 both shut down for the season. And, yeah, I started thinking what, what – is there or is there a point of reference? And, and, and I know that it's not a straight line, Jeremy, but it, it reminded me a little bit of that day in, in 1980, which I'm sure you remember well, when when the president uh, shut down the Olympics. I was 10, Paul. I was 10. <laughs> I mean, I, I remember I remember it taking place, but I, I don't remember it well, quite that vividly. I, knew, I, I remember a shop reporting it. I guess <laughs> yeah, I got the wrong right. one. <laughs> My dad was actually one of only, I think, five or six Americans who covered those games after the U.S. pulled out. But I, I, we digress. No, but it, 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 yeah, the, the, it, and I say that because it was, it was the, the expression on the faces of those young people whose dreams were mostly gone. Uh, four years was going to be a lifetime. For, for these young people they, they they're still next year but for, for this for the seniors they're they're pretty much done i mean you you can't help but feel for them but but the bigger question i think is not why did the two shut down I, I think they explained it fairly well the bigger question is why are the other three conferences still attempting to plow uh uncharted territory so what's the answer the answer is i don't know that's why i asked you <laughs> um because <laughs> because they uh they continue to say uh, that their medical protocols are monitoring the situations very closely, which is fine. Um, I, I don't blame them, but there are so many mixed messages. And, and you know, we all have by now uh, in, in mid-August our, our, our friendly neighborhood epidemiologists to go to when we need something answered. And the ones that I go to uh, shake their head. Uh, they understand the argument that the Pac-10 and, and, the, and the, uh, the Big 12 excuse me, the, the, the Pac-12 have made about uh, myocarditis. Uh, 
And but it but it's not clear though uh, what happens in the future. That's, the uncertainty is the problem. Exactly, exactly. And if it can create long term health issues, then let's have more consideration. Uh, I think I think there's more to it, Jeremy. Uh, I think there is a political uh, component of this, uh, and and it's you can say it's 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 rational or it's very disturbing, but. You know, the part of the country that shut down, it's obvious where the alignments are. The part of the country that continues to go, uh, it's also obvious. In the 11 states with SEC teams, nine are led by Republican governors. 21 of the 22 senators are Republican. And it's pretty obvious that the the man who sits at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue is openly uh, campaigning for a college football season. He talked to Trevor Lawrence yesterday, the number one player in the country. He talked to Ed Ogeron, the coach of the year and the reigning national champion. And He was on Clay Travis's show talking about it. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it shows you that the degree that, that, that President Trump thinks this is a major wedge issue. And they're, 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 everything's unscientific in politics, but I hear pretty much every day on this program from from callers who want to blame the liberal governors of whatever states. And there are also uh, an equal number who want to blame the president for getting us into this situation. I saw you quoted in the New York Times today talking about the political ramifications of these decisions with college football. You were on NPR today. You're 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 talking to everybody. I mean, none of us has seen sports become so politicized and the divides along political lines in sports the way that we are seeing it now. It's been a long time, maybe never before. How does that manifest itself in terms of doing your shows on a daily basis? It's, it's difficult, Jeremy, because one thing, it's not because of some edict from, from our bosses, even though I think there is an edict from our bosses. Um, but what you never want uh, a daily talk show to be uh, turned into, especially one about sports, is, is, to have a, is to have it turn into a political conversation from the right to the left. And, and I've, I vowed to stop that. But I, I have failed miserably because you can't, you can't get around it. And if some person wants to call in and, and take one view or the other, uh, it's, a, it's a legitimate part of this conversation. And it's a legitimate part of the conversation is because the president rightly or wrongly, has delegated the responsibility to the states. And every state governor is critical, not only in, in terms of the, the health and safety of that, per, that particular state, but also perhaps what that state university's president has to say. If you're the president of the University of Alabama, you can't uh, be at war with the governor. Uh, that's the, your major source of, of funding. So I think that's, that is going on right now. And I think it's playing into it. Uh, but in the end, uh, and, and predictions are worthless because we're asked every day, you know, w- what do you think percentage-wise? I ask that question five times an hour. But it, it seems unlikely that what we're hearing today we will still be hearing on September 13th. I, I think the, the, the deeper we get get into this month and the closer we get to the, the kickoff of the first game, which right now in, in, in most conferences is, is September 26th, the more difficult the argument is going to be to play football. Well, it, well, here's, and I guess because predictions are worthless and um, nothing is demonstrated that more than, than life over the last six months here in the U.S. and beyond, but what is your degree of confidence that the decisions that are going to be made are going to be made um, based on 
the right criteria. And by that, I mean safe and health, safety and health. And we all know that nothing comes without risks, but those, that those decisions are being made on the basis of decisions about not only the health and safety of the players, but the people who work around them, the people in their communities, all of that versus the politics. I texted, uh, I was texting a head coach today in one of those three conferences that remain alive uh, of the Power Five. And I said, so what's the latest? He said, we had a conference call this morning and we're going to play. And I said, what's driving it? And he said, money. Money is driving everything right now. So it's not politics. It's not politics and it's not health and safety. It's financial. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's whatever you want the answer to be. But he, I mean, I was just simply uh, quoting what he was telling me, uh, Jeremy, in the sense that that I mean, I don't think anyone uh, in that conversation said this is, money is driving it. This was his interpretation. Right. So right. You, I, I think in terms of the decision, you have a clash between medicine, uh, science, and, and politics. But, but, but then you have that third tier, the, uh, the third rung of the conversation is, is money, and, and it's enormous. And that's why every athletic director, I think, somewhat blindly is pushing their presidents to play. Uh, they're pushing their conference commissioners to play because they, they, they fear, and rightly so, that if, if, if the football season is canceled, there is going to be a financial wipeout of many athletic departments. Paul, I, I wish I could say uh, that things are going to get less interesting over the next few weeks and months, but we probably both agree that that is not the case. And uh, you are going to be, you're going to continue to be in the middle of it. It's, it's always a pleasure. Thank you, as always, for your insights and your candor, Paul. Jeremy, it is my pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's always, it's always just such a treat to be with you. This is The Sporting Life on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Amid all the chaos, not only in our world at large, but in the world of sports right now with the cancellation of so many college football schedules this fall, uncertainty about whether other Sports will be able to complete their seasons, whether their seasons will be able to get underway on time. We welcome to the show ESPN's resident expert on the world of wagering in sports, which of course is being affected as you would expect from all of this uncertainty. We welcome the host of The Daily Wager, Doug Kazarian. Doug, thank you for being with us. My man, good to be with you. I know we've connected on... uh outside the lines a bunch and in the hallways of course but it's good to be here i'm uh you know always fun chopping sports up with you now doug um you know i I think a few months ago we might have had a segment on the show i'm sure you were listening about um about things people were wagering on in the absence of the sports they're accustomed to watching but now so many sports are back you turn on the tv obviously and you've got soccer here and overseas and you've got baseball here and overseas and you've got hockey and you've got basketball and you've got golf and you've got tennis from um, a wagering perspective and it's summertime so college sports wouldn't be around right now anyway does it feel kind of normal right now on the daily wager it absolutely does like it, it, it the content for all betters feels normal and actually the handle which is the total money bet is very high for a lot of operators because you you get these isolated games so for example if there's five games on an nba night Let's say they start between 7.30 and 10 on East Coast time. A couple of them, maybe the TV games, the, the main, you know, whether it's TNT Thursday night or ESPN Friday, are going to have much more handle than maybe the lesser games. 
But now when they're spread out throughout the day, March Madness style, all the games in that, in that island sort of time slot and visibility have a lot more handle. And then there's a component of, you know, you took away the toy for so many months, they're just jonesing to play with it. So that first game back in the baseball season when uh, Garrett Cole for the Yankees pitched against the defending champs, huge ratings for TV, huge ratings in terms of betting handle. So uh, everybody was sort of itching to get back and, and betting on their favorite, uh, the favorite sport and all that. So, yes, it, it does start to feel like normal. To your point, you got the UFC cards on the weekend. You got a boxing here and there. You got NASCAR. You got golf and then NBA and baseball. It's like, all right, it just feels great again. And um, that's a fair point. But, you know, as sports fans did, we all suffered for so many months. But what about the uncertainty um, arising specifically from the virus. I mean, how, how can anybody, you know, I could see a game, betting on a game, but how can you bet on the season? How can, how can you, when you don't know, frankly, um, you know, how the virus is going to affect particular teams, as we've seen, unfortunately, with the Marlins and the Cardinals and, and other teams? Well, it's a great question, and it's certainly something that all bettors, including myself, factored in. And the key that we came up with is, there's so much randomness with the positive test, right? We started to see it before the NBA resumed in baseball. We saw it with like golf and even UFC had some scratches on a Friday and Saturday guys who had to come out of the event or a caddy in golf and they were scratched even mid tournament. And I think the key was you can't lay the favorites. You can't lay odds on the favorites when there's so much randomness, even more so than just the, the natural randomness that sports present. So knowing that a Giannis or LeBron can catch COVID accidentally and inadvertently the underdogs had more appeal because there was just a, a puncher's chance even more so, especially with the neutral court in the NBA, because predominantly favorites and really just it's a more predictable postseason format in the NBA because the best of seven, the volume of about 100 possessions per game, just the larger sample size of, of possessions and games and home court advantages just it lends itself to the favorites prevailing. So knowing all that, the underdogs had a chance this summer more than any other year in the NBA. And then even other sports like baseball. I know I talked to some odds makers and they said they were very liable, meaning they stood to lose a lot of money if the quote-unquote worst teams of each division won that division. So they took a lot of money on the Marlins, on the Giants, on, on the Orioles to win the East because of smaller sample size, so 60 games from 162. And again, we don't look what's happening with the Marlins. Look what's happening with the Cardinals. We don't know what's going to happen. I mean, baseball changed their playoff format hours before the season began. So because of that, they took a flyer on some of these long shots. And so that was the approach is you adapt and move forward. And then moving forward from this point with the NFL, I mean, what, what sort of future bets can you make? I mean, I think the thing is, is like underdogs have more of a chance and maybe even a shortened season, things like that. We don't know what's going to happen moving forward, and even some college conferences, if that, that all materializes. And, of course, this might all seem insignificant in the face of the pandemic and all the suffering uh, that we've seen, but these are these are big industries, um, the wagering industries, especially bigger now since uh, the, the decision, the Supreme Court decision a few years ago, uh, legalizing it across the board uh, in states, making it possible for them to have legal wagering, not just Nevada. So, so we know there's no Big Ten. We know there's no Pac-12. Um, 
What what is the landscape of college football wagering going to look like when I think at this point the number I saw I think at this point there are only seventy seven teams in the football bowl subdivision that are at this point even planning to play and we're speaking now on Wednesday it might be fewer by the time this airs over the weekend. So short term, a lot of stuff has come off the board, meaning the betting menu. So you cannot bet who's going to win it all in terms of the champion, which college. And then also like Heisman Trophy odds have all come down. They're sort of letting the dust settle and then going to repost once they know what's out there. But and, and then a lot of these offerings from like February on have a lot of fine print. Now, the fine print for we can do what's called a season win total. So if a team plays. Uh, 10 or 11 games, you can, you can on their schedule that's already been set, you can bet over or under how many wins, like eight and a half. But the fine print is must play all 11 games or whatever it says. Or for a conference, the championship game must be played on this day. You know, think there is fine print. But I will say this, Jeremy, and this is something we just learned in baseball. Sometimes there are proposition bets on the betting menu where you just catch a break and the fine print doesn't cover it. For example, baseball had some prop bets yes or no to make the postseason so like the red Sox were underdogs to make the postseason maybe maybe three to one underdogs so so three to one on the red Sox to make the postseason well they expanded the format the day of the first game so more teams reached the postseason and that was not in the fine print so the people who bet yes on the red Sox now have better odds sort of skewed in their favor because there's more teams that can go to the postseason there used to be five from each league. Now there's eight. So things like that. So in this case, for college football, to answer your original question, there were ACC bets you can make on. Clemson was an overwhelming favorite, what's called minus 600. So it's a money line, all in relation to 100. So that means you had to lay $60 just to win 10. But if you think about it, they've dominated. They've been three touchdown favorites in the championship game the last couple of years. There's no one that can even come close to competing with Clemson because they just have to they have to avoid losing essentially two games in their division, let alone conference, to get to the championship game. Well, now Notre Dame is part of the ACC this year, and that wasn't factored into the odds originally. So if you lay minus 600, lay one to six odds, now you have a kind of another hurdle to clear in, in Notre Dame. Maybe Trevor Lawrence bounces out, and, and, and now all indications say he wants to play, but there's going to be a lot of changes where some of the fine print doesn't cover you much like a regular game when like some star rolls his ankle in the first quarter. Interesting times. Doug Kazarian has it all covered on the Daily Wager. Doug, it's been fun getting a chance to talk about your life and uh, the work you're doing now, keeping America apprised uh, of what's going on in the world of wagering. Thank you for joining us, sir. Happy to talk sports and sports wagering anytime, my man. This is The Sporting Life on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Of course, the current NBA season, this truncated, bizarre bubble season is unlike anything we have ever seen before or anyone else has ever seen before. So from the perspective of a journalist who is covering it, not only covering the games, but the environment, the entire strange, unprecedented situation, it must be particularly interesting. Nobody has better insights into what has gone on and is going on inside the bubble and the man who joins us now, the senior NBA writer for the undefeated, Mark Spears. Mark, thank you for joining us. Hey, man, my pleasure. How are you? 
I'm good. We spoke earlier today. We're speaking on Thursday uh, for Outside the Lines, and we were having an offline discussion just about life in the bubble. And it, it occurred to me, this is this is just fascinating. We're hearing, you know, we're seeing bubble social media. We're seeing bubble stories. There's going to be an amazing book to be written. Uh, how many notes are you taking right now for that book, which is sure to be a bestseller? Man, I messed up, man. I was doing trying to do a diary when I first got here. <laughs> And then <laughs> it just it just got too hard to do because, you know, you're just so busy. Um, Mark, you got to keep the diary. I messed up, man. You know, I do. I do have a video one, but it's a personal one. I send my dad video messages every day uh, about what's going on and, you know, what I see. And, you know, my dad, um, he has some 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 I'll just say he has some health issues, so he can't speak anymore so I, I speak to him every day about sending him a video from here so you know maybe somebody could take those videos and put it together but it's um the the work we're doing here uh has been certainly historical i believe just what we're seeing every day from a science standpoint from a basketball standpoint from a social justice standpoint yeah probably in the end i'll be regretting not doing that diary every day man but it's um I, I, I certainly won't forget it, and I think the badge that we get from being in here is, is certainly going to be one of the the best uh, little bar stories you could have. When somebody says, "Man, weren't you in the bar?" And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, <laughs> pull the chair." Oh my God! Yeah, I, I, well, you know, I, as someone who has uh, some experience in video uh, production, those videos you're sending your dad when they make the thirty for thirty twelve part series about life in the bubble, those things are going to be gold. Yeah, they're a little personal, but <laughs> even better. But yeah, man, um, I had a buddy yesterday. I Facetime like he, everybody's like curious, like, what kind of food do you guys have? <laughs> I'm curious. Um, yeah, we were talking about you that. Know, what, what, where can you go? What, like, so I gave him a tour. I had dinner. Um, I showed him like the, the where we get hot food, where the cold food is, where all the snacks are. Showed him, you know, the little lake between us um, and where all the top teams are staying, and how we can't really go anywhere. <laughs> like right now, I'm looking at a restaurant from 50 feet away, <laughs> and I swear, the last night I'm here. I'm going to eat at that restaurant. They don't let us eat at this restaurant. Like we don't, as media, we don't have a restaurant to go to. Wait, wait. So you have to be a player to eat at the restaurant? You have to be anybody but media <laughs> to eat at the <laughs> restaurant. So we, we we can't go there. We don't we don't have a restaurant to go to. We just have a bar. But these are part of the, the, this is part of the safety efforts, right? People are supposed to say not only in the larger bubble, but in their small bubbles, right? Yeah. So there's limited contact uh, among the different groups, right? I think the thing is, it's, they, they certainly want to make the players as comfortable as possible in terms of where they can hang out and relax. And, and so I, I get it. I get it. You know, um, some there's a lot of players I'm cool with and a lot of my colleagues are cool with who have been trying to get us there, but you know, but this isn't for us. This is for, for them. So if there's one, one player that just wants it non-media and I know family and stuff, it's going to arise soon. I, I get it. But you know, so what I, what I do, I make the best of my home. I, I got a, a coffee maker. I, I grind my own beans and make my own coffee. I have a French press or like a Chemex. How, if you're grinding your own beans, no, no, 
old old school Mr. Coffee, man. Nothing I, wrong with know, that. I got the electrical grinder. Joe DiMaggio. Are you old enough to remember Joe DiMaggio, Mr. Coffee commercials? Because I am. Oh, yeah. But I feel like you're younger than me. Yeah, but I loved baseball as a kid. We're speaking with Mark J. Spears, the senior <laughs> NBA writer for The Undefeated, who has been living in the bubble. So, I, I look, I, nobody wants to hear writers or players or team executives or anyone else complaining about this situation. It, it would be unseemly, right, uh, considering the suffering that we're seeing in the world outside of the bubble and, and what's happened in this country for the last six months and the rest of the world. But, but you know, it, it's, it must be strange. It must be disorienting. It, 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 it must feel um, weird to be in this environment where you are essentially, um, you know, you can't, you can't leave. Yeah, no, it, it is. But to your original point, I feel like I'm on the safest place on the planet. Like I get tested every morning. I have a routine. Like you have to get your temperature. You have to get your oxygen level taken. And then I go get my, um, you know, my COVID test every day. It's every day. Yeah. Every day. And if you, if you don't take these things, you can't go anywhere. You know, we have to wear masks everywhere. They have a bunch of Barney Fife's walking around that will scream at you if you if you don't have your mask Maybe on. Maybe you are older than I thought, Mark, if you're giving us, you know, Barney Fife. <laughs> but they have um but the thing is like, man, I got friends who've had COVID tests and got results 18 days later. Right, outside of the bubble. You're yeah, talking about people yeah. So like for me to get a COVID test daily, I it it, it it's a it's a, a huge privilege especially during the, the worst time of this, you know, in, in America. So to know every day that I'm, I don't have it. I mean, my, I've had family members had it. Uh, I've had people close to my family that passed. Like I, I certainly take this serious. So to get a test daily, like I'm like, I'm actually like Stefano Fasaro who works with us at ESPN. He was doing an MLS bubble and he just left and he's like, man, be, be safe. I'm like, no, you be safe. Like I'm, I'm, I got to the point where I'm like scared to go into regular civilization right now because I know I'm safe here. And, and this, this thing is, is a, is a deadly nightmare. And Mark, before we let you go, I know you're so busy down there. You're writing every day, which is a kind of diary in in and of itself. Um, you're observing this remarkable, um, historic moment in pro sports and the NBA. Um, how how do you how do you keep any balance in your life though when you're in that bubble? How are you how are you maintaining um, your equilibrium? What are you doing outside of work and watching basketball, which is work, uh, to to stay sane? You you got to get your rest. You got to pace yourself. Kind of liken it to, and I know you've been to the Olympics before. You know you can't go to everything. You, you have to pick and choose what's important. Um, whether it's practices, games, shoot arounds. Uh, I'm not, a, I've never been a nap person, but I took one this afternoon. Um, <laughs> going to the gym is important. There's a lot of things that mm. cause you to walk a lot here, whether it's just going to get your COVID test or going to get your food. It takes me about five minutes to walk to get my food. Um, but that's a good thing because it keeps me active, you know. And so you just have to. Another thing, like I did the other day with Chris Haynes and Gary Washburn, some great reporters also here is we went fishing and just those like two hours to get outside away from our hotel, 
go to another hotel, get on a boat, and and pretend like we could fish <laughs> for two hours was just yeah, you need amazing to do that. getaway. Just like getting my hair cut, we even for that half an hour like feels kind of normal. So I just like realized like you got to make your room as comfortable as possible, and you got to work out. You got to you got to just you, you can't just do nothing. Um, but sometimes you have to do nothing if that makes sense. It's just it's a hard balance, but um, I think now I'm looking at it. We're a month in today. I got 60 days left, and um, I, I know I'll be really excited to get on that flight home. But um, I think people here are starting to settle in and figure it out. Well, as we say, it's going to make a great book, a great documentary, uh, fascinating. We we appreciate, in all seriousness, the work you are doing and your colleagues are doing down there. Uh, it, it is, it's a safe environment, but it's still a, a kind of sacrifice. I don't think anybody would deny that. Mark, thank you so much for spending the time with us. All right. Thank you, sir. I'll talk to you soon. This is The Sporting Life on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Last week, the company Tidewatch conducted an online survey of 800 sports fans 18 and above on behalf of ESPN. The topics were related to sports and social justice and to the return of sports against the backdrop of the pandemic. In addition to the base sample of 527 interviews, an additional oversample of 273 interviews were conducted among black fans who were then weighted into their proper proportion of the population to make this as scientific as possible. Joining us now to talk about this survey, what it means, what it reveals about what American sports fans are thinking at this particular moment in time, one of the most important people at ESPN and certainly one of my favorite I don't know if he's a vice president, senior vice president, executive vice president, but he is the data survey uh, ratings, all that stuff, guru, Barry Blinn. Barry, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Jeremy. I wish I was as popular in my household as I appear to be to you, so thank you. <laughs> so, so Barry, I, I mean, I know the answers to these questions because I've read the memorandum that you put together based on the uh, results of the survey, but I'll ask you anyway. What are the big takeaways here? The first big takeaway for me is we're undoubtedly in a unique moment in terms of social justice in this country. And the attention, it's not just receiving in the news, but it's attention, it's it's garnering at the intersection of sports and news. Fans tell us very clearly they're paying a lot of attention to the issues, and they really do believe that athletes can make a difference. We ask fans um, what role athletes can play, and more than six in ten, they say athletes can make a great deal or somewhat of a bit of difference when it comes to addressing issues of social justice. Now, what's interesting on that point is while they back the idea of athletes being involved in social justice, how that activity manifests itself is where the friction in the audience starts to happen. So if people are supportive of athletes and social justice, the question is how and what's permissible to them. Let me give you an example. We asked, athlete, we asked the respondents to choose one of these two answers to describe their point of view. Professional athletes should only express their views on social justice and political issues on their own time and not take away from sporting events when the game should be the only focus. The other choice, professional athletes should be able to express their views on social and political issues during sporting events because these events are an opportunity to bring larger attention, the platform, correct? 
49% chose statement A, 51% chose statement B. So during game, outside of game. But it's a massive split when you when you break it down uh, by race and ethnicity. I, I'm looking at that right now. And again, we're speaking to Barry Blinn. Uh, it's only, it's 54% of white fans agree with the first statement uh, that they should not distract during sporting events. And it's 76% of black fans who agree with the statement uh, that during sporting events, it is appropriate to bring attention to these important issues. And that's what makes the analysis exciting here is at a top line, you'd say people are divided, but within that by different demographic groups, especially issues of race to different races, you see that type of polarization, and you really see it play out across our society right now. But in this particular instance, you can see the black fans, three out of four black fans saying, of course, it's okay to express it during the game. And when you think about NBA players saying, I want to go back because I want to use my platform, in some ways that ties directly back to that insight. We're speaking with Barry Blinnett about the new survey commissioned by ESPN and conducted last week, 800 sports fans asking them questions about the intersection of sports and the social justice movement uh, that we have seen in particular over the last several weeks since the killing of George Floyd and also their feelings about the return of sports um, as the country still sees uh, the pandemic taking so many lives and infecting so many. You know, Barry, um, you know, it, it's been an interesting shift, of course, in terms of ESPN and other sports media entities over the last several months. Um, the phrase stick to sports has certainly been tested, uh, turned on its head. And it's something that 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 people would say about people in sports media and also about athletes themselves. In terms of the whole idea of athletes should be sticking to sports and we've already talked about it a little bit how, how does th- th- that's clearly not something that all or even most sports fans at this moment in time are feeling that's definitely not the case and when we talk about being in sync and with the tone of society the tone of society is athletes are more than an athlete and then there's more to them and as i said they can play an important role here and you see it um in their in terms of their endorsement of the kinds of things that fans are willing to see Remember, we live in a world where NASCAR banned the Confederate flag and 63% of fans approve of that. We, we are now in a world where um, a group of fans are, and you know, we tested 16 different options of things that could be done to observe social justice at games. And a variety of them engendered a huge amount of support, which is interesting as we approach an NFL season, the college football season. I think that what, what I would point you to right now, what's going to be most interesting for me is time. We are now more than 80 days since George Floyd was killed. And we asked fans this question, and I think this is probably the thing that sticks with me the most, which is when, you, when sports handle social issues, would you, like to ha- um, would you like them to cover, observe social observance during the first games of the, remain- of the resumed season only, during games throughout the whole season, or not during any games? And for both the NBA and the MLB, and it may be interesting to people to think of this, about half the fans say, I would like this recognized. I would like social justice issues recognized at every game throughout the resume season. We have a quarter of fans saying, I don't want social justice observed during any games. And we have roughly a quarter of the fans of those sports saying, I only want it observed in the first game. That's what I'm interested in is how, how do we maintain this moment? Because right now, there's a group of people who either don't want it at all or only want 
a small portion of it. This is not an on-off switch in the social justice movement. It's a dial. And athletes want to keep that dial up, and the sports world wants to keep that dial up. It remains to be seen, as you said, as COVID continues, as we head towards an election, where that dial says in terms of fans and sports and their focus on these issues. There are also a couple of questions um, not related to social justice issues, uh, per se, but about sports coming back amid the pandemic. And overall, 63% of the fans surveyed agree with the statement in unpredictable times like these. I'm happy to have some sports to watch, to use as an escape from everything else going on in the world. 37% saying we're in a crisis right now. It seems wrong for pro sports to be taking place. Um, what was your reaction when you saw that number? those numbers. It's a positive sign for sports and sports fans. Athletes were anxious to get back on the field. And the news here is, is that fans welcome them back to the field. Certainly to be candid, if we're in a population where we're losing a thousand Americans still a day to COVID, it's a very serious one. But what fans are telling us is this is the time for the escapist value of sports to play a role in their life. It's a place they can turn for a moment and to derive joy from sports. So I think now, Saying that they have sports back, we also hear fans, we ask them another question, which is the degree of normalcy. We hear a lot about sports having to you know, being a sign of life getting back to normal. 57% agree it's time to get back to some sense of normalcy. Leagues and players can start to play again as long as they take proper precautions. While 43% say leagues and team owners are, restoring, are restarting sports too quickly. We need to be more cautious about players' health and safety. And I think we're seeing them play out this week in terms of college football and the degree to which the sport's going to come back and what it means for student-athletes. But on the positive side of the ledger here is there is a, an elasticity in the public's mind to permitting sports to come back with the proper precaution. Fascinating stuff, as always, from Barry Blinn's group at ESPN. For the results of the survey, you can go online. They're on ESPN.com, and they were the subject as well on Thursday and Friday of our Outside the Lines on SportsCenter segments. Barry, it has been a pleasure uh, having you on the show for your maiden voyage. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Thank you very much, Jeremy. Thanks for having joined us. I'm Jeremy Schapp, and this has been The Sporting Life on ESPN Radio. We're on every Saturday and every Sunday morning at 6 Eastern Time.